Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. This episode, I sit down with Alex Capranos of Franz Ferdinand and it's wonderful. He has such a excitable, lovable zest and passion to talk music, which made my job so easy. I just had to ask the question, sit back, and just enjoy him talking uh, so candidly about some amazing records. And, uh, and we're going to get on with that chat shortly. Before we do, a few thank yous. Uh, so I'd like to thank Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, thank you to 76, my producer. Uh, thank you to Sophie for putting uh, this together. And the biggest thanks always go to my bloody lovely listeners. That's you lot. Um, really appreciate uh, you, you listening and supporting. And, you know, we're, we're 380 episodes in there and still having the best time getting to sit down and talk to these amazing creative people um, about records. It's uh, It's an absolute joy. And the fact that you lot have a listen makes it even better. Um, if this happens to be the first time you're listening to this podcast, uh, then when you finish today's episode with Alex, then you should go and explore those 380 episodes that I've been talking about. You can hear me talking to artists such as uh, Suede, Idols, Sleaford Mods, um, the Foo Fighters, um, God, Motley Crue, Chuck D, oh, Blimey, there's there's hundreds. And if you like your actors, you can hear me talking to Maxine Peake, Michael Smiley, Amanda Abington, Joe Hartley, Thomas Turgus. If you like comedians, James Acaster, Ed Gamble, uh, Rhys James, um, so many, so many. Producers, Fatboy Slim, Butch Fig. Um, oh, honestly, just go and have a a little rummage around in the archives because there's there's bundles of episodes and I'm sure you'll find some over there that uh, you will enjoy listening to. Um, also, uh, can I ask that if you see us on the socials, um, give us a little like, love, share, retweet, all of that stuff helps. Um, and if you're feeling really generous and like to support the podcast and get access to even more content, then I have a Patreon. And that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash off the beat and track. Uh, and over there, there's about another 300 episodes, radio shows. Um, you can watch all the episodes. I put all the videos up over there so you can go and watch all these chats. And yeah, there's loads of stuff. So um, and it cost you a dollar a month. What's that? 68p a month, something like that. So, uh, yeah. Why not? It, essentially, you're just supporting the podcast, but you also get a bundle of stuff as well. Okay. Anyway, let's get on with it. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Alex Capranos. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The cacao bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. 
go and check it out www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It's me, Stu Whiffin. Okay, we are recording. Alex, how are you today? Yeah, I'm not too bad. What about yourself, Stu? I'm fine, thank you, mate. I'm fine. Where where are you today? I, I'm in London at the moment. Yeah, I'm just down here for a few days uh, talking about the new record coming out and stuff, enjoying the sunshine, not enjoying the beginning of World War Three, etc. Oh, you know, mate, it's, it's, I, I can't stop watching it. It's like I just can't believe what I'm seeing. I know it's it's appalling. It's it's, it's kind of it, you're right. It's in, incomprehensible, isn't it? Um, you, you, we we've. We've played in Odessa and Kiev before, and I know people over there. And to to think about what's happening right there just now is, yeah, it's incomprehensible. I I can't get my head around it. I'm I'm totally in shock. Yeah, awful. Anyway, here we are. Should we we talk music? Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's take our minds off it. Let's let's talk about something good instead. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I want to start... um... Your playlist today, Alex. If you can tell me, please, the song that you think's got the greatest ever intro. Well, I started thinking about this, like a song, and what makes a good introduction. And uh, it really is, to me, a good introduction is like a sense of suspense before the delivery of the actual song itself. And so before I could think of one, I was kind of like thinking what the parameters are that make a good introduction. And in a way, a good introduction is a bad piece of music or like a boring piece of music that builds up anticipation and suspense until you get the release and the joy of the moment. And I was trying to think, I was thinking of like, Songs I'd listened through to my entire life, and maybe trying to think of songs that I haven't listened to for years that do that. I was sort of thinking, like, it must be one that's got the greatest payoff of all. And then I realized what it was because I remember having this. This is such a build-up here, isn't it? Having this song, <laughs> having this song on a twelve-inch when I was a kid. I bought it on a twelve-inch, and. um when I was a kid, I hated the introduction. Like I thought, so I used to skip it, just go, just go, go the good bit. And then I clocked, oh no, the good bit's the good bit because of the boring bit at the beginning of the song. And it was when I was in my early teens, uh, I got Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, okay. which, has, which has that like ridiculously absurd long introduction i don't can, can you think of the song I, I, I obviously can think of the song but can you picture the introduction yeah it's it's that sting doing the how oh, am i mtv yes, bit, isn't it? and yeah. then you've just got these weird like massively produced like, yes so over the top so over the top and absurd and ludicrously boring <laughs> like you know like it's boring and i think that the, the reason why it works so I mean, when i was a kid I love that song because of the riff. The riff is yeah. amazing. Like it, 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 it is a, a, a fantastic riff. It's such a bloody good riff. And I just wanted to hear that riff when I was a kid. And But going through the process of knowing that it's coming and you're having to listen to stupid Sting who doesn't belong in the stupid record in the first <laughs> place. Like, <laughs> you know, not realising it, it's, it's not Fleur and his pals doing a bit of postmodernism or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you've got to sit through this and all the, the, the ridiculous drums and silly Jupiter 8 noises and just like, like kind of, we're going to get there and it builds up and it builds up and then finally you get to it and it kicks in. It's like, damn, what a, what a, what a good riff and how good it is because of what we've had to sit through. So what I want to know is... When you approach songwriting, I know that you're not on the phone to Sting uh, or messing around with a tube at R8. Like, uh, but I, I, I want to, you know, I'm sure you spoke about Take Me Out so many times, but the intro to that, people have referenced on this podcast. Two people have chosen right. it. Um, oh, wow, that's interesting. And, and, and that's, that's quite a instant call of arms, that. And, and, it, and it still has the drop as well. Um, yes. like the, 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 the payoff, although obviously it's not 
three minutes getting to it. Um, but when when you approach songwriting, and, and and more so now in the way that when when the band probably first started, the way that people listen to music would have been far different to how they get their music now. Um, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And so with the the trends in Spotify playlists and things like that, and lots of pop music now being written with start with a chorus and trim that fat off, trim that fat off. I know that's always exists to a degree, but yeah. the attention span seem to be getting shorter. Um, watching my children and their rapid thumbs, it, it definitely appears to be something that's moving, moving swifter. Does any of that ever filter through to your creative process when you're writing a song and essentially the, the intro, Alex? No, <laughs> to give you the short answer, okay. uh, to, to expand on it a little bit, um, I, I, I never really write, because I, I guess there's, there's two sides of it, there's the songwriting and then there's the arranging, and to me it's, it's the arrangement that usually deals with the introduction, and for Take Me Out, that was certainly the case with that, Um the the start of the song or, or what's kind of considered to be the introduction was actually the verse because when I when when I first wrote the song like like uh, when I first came I was writing with Nick in my in my flat and we had a a keyboard going it was all the one tempo like we had the auto accompaniment bit and it was kind of the tempo that the main the second part of the song is. Um, uh, and so now let, let, let me get this right. I've got to get work out the right order. Is so we had the tempo right for that bit. You know the, the I say, don't you know? You say you don't know. I say, take me out there and the little riff and stuff. I'd also I'd written the words down for the for the verses. So we worked on the chorus bit and then worked on the verses. I'd written down the words for the verses and. When we played the verses, now the timing was wrong. Ah, the verses were actually too fast. So, like, I was trying to like, so if you if you imagine um, uh, you've got the tempo going, uh, I say, don't you know? I was trying to sing it double time. It's going to go like, and it was too fast. And we tried changing the tempo of the song. And so the original structure of the song was quite conventional. It went verse, chorus, verse, chorus, uh, and with a riff and stuff, and, and that, that was the way it was. But the tempo was always wrong. It was either too fast for the verse or too slow for the chorus. And then one day I had this daft idea. I said, well, what if we take the verses and put them into half time and then speed them up? to a time where it sounds right, play them like that, but then that beginning bit's going to be too fast. So when we finish all the verses, we'll just slow the whole thing back down again to the tempo of the rest of the song, and that might work. And it kind of did work. Like, in, in terms of the timing and everything, it was really cool. And then, and then yeah, and then other things kind of became apparent after that. So, so, so we, we'd been joking at the time about um, this idea of sports rock. Like, like Bob had come across a, a, a uh, some guy in in America in the early days of the internet talking about uh, this genre of sports rock. We'd never heard of this before. It's, it seemed to only exist in America. I think it still does exist in America. Um, and we tried to figure out what it was. It was essentially like Queen and uh, We Are the Champions and Eye of the Tiger by, uh, oh, what are they called again? Survivor. Uh, Survivor, yes. Essentially yeah, yeah. like music for a, a Rocky training montage. <laughs> yes, that kind of thing. <laughs> All the kind of thing that was playing stadiums to get people kind yeah. of like hit up about like kind of. And one of the things that they realized was like kind of like, um, uh, it was like a device that was using a lot of that music was the hits. You know, like, like you always got them in Queen, the yeah. and like you, always get, you also get them in either the type, the and, and so I thought like, oh, because we've been talking about it, I thought it'd be funny to get some hits in there. And also because it kind of reflected the lyrical theme of the song. So we slowed it down and then did the hits and then the riff kicked in, the rest of the song started and, so yeah, uh, to answer your question, like I wasn't really thinking about yeah. the listener 
uh, or where, and certainly wasn't thinking about things like, well, streaming didn't exist, but uh, I, I didn't think about like the radio or anything like that when I was writing that. It was purely as like, this is, this feels good. You yeah. know, this feels good when I stick it together. Like, oh, how exciting is it when it slows down? And like, when you hit those hits, damn, it feels good, yeah. you know, which I think is, is the way you should always approach songwriting. Like, I, I always feel that songs that are written to the formulas that fit in with, um, I don't know, current trends and consumption of music always sound ugh, a little bit forced and uh, I don't know. It, it just doesn't really resonate with me. So to answer the other part of your question, I don't really think about that now. I, I um, No. But then again, I, I've always liked songs to be quite direct. I, I do like the idea of like um, absurd and out there ideas accompanied by super catchy melodies yeah. and, 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 and taking unconventional concepts and putting them, putting them into the, uh, the, the context of a, a pop song, essentially. Um, that, that, that gives me a big thrill. And, and, and pulling off weird musical ideas and nobody noticing. Yeah. That, 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 that's, that's my, that's my favorite thing in the world. It's like pulling off something that I know is really, really complex, but people don't notice when they listen to it. Cause it just sounds like a banging tune. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to take you back for track two, Alex, and I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Well, I was again, I was trying to think of this. I was, I was trying to think back to my very, very earliest memories of music. Um, and, it would, of course, it would be music that was played by my parents. So... Um, or the music that was around me, the music that was on the radio. And so I was trying to think of those albums that my parents would have had and what I would have listened to that would have had like an emotional impact on me. And I realized it was probably because I, I, I remember listening to this song and understanding what it meant and what the lyric was and, and, and what it ended up having an effect on me, like, like just being a bit shocked and like kind of like quite upset about it. And it, it, it's funny, like uh, it, it's it, it's a it's that it's a band called Steel Eye Span. You know, Steel Eye Span, the ones that who are kind of seen as a kind of unfairly as a as like a bit of a comedy band because of the the Mike Bat produced uh, all around my hat. But uh, my mum had a compilation of all of their early songs, their their, their first, I think it's their first two albums or something like that, and. There was a song on that album called The Lowlands of Holland. And uh, it was, it's an old either Scottish or Irish um, folk song. Uh, and I'm not sure because there's this reference to Galloway in it. I'm not sure whether it's a reference to Galloway in, in, in Ireland or Galloway near where I live in, in Scotland. Um, anyway, the, the song is about. Um, it's told from the narrative perspective of a young woman whose lover has been press ganged and taken away to sea. And uh, there's a line in it where she sings, she's sing, talking to her mother, her, her mother's saying like, I forget it. Uh, um, there's, there's plenty of men in Galloway. Uh, you should find somebody new essentially. Uh, and her answer to that is, uh, um, oh, there's man enough in Galloway. Alas, there's none for me. Uh, uh, for I never had a love but one, and he's drowned in the sea. And I, I, it's funny, like even talking about it now, I, I get like a little, a little shudder of ad adrenaline, like running through my back, because here I am, here I was then listening to this folk rock band in the uh, in the I guess mid seventies. I would have been listening to that. Um, but it's a very, very old and real. It's, it's 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 a true song, like talking about true lives and real situations and real experiences. And I, I guess that was one of the earliest moment I can remember of like listening to a piece of music and it transcending from just being a melody or purely music into having um, emotional insight to the experience of somebody else and. Uh, and, and realizing what it was to drown and, and, and to die, and, and, and trying to get my head around losing somebody like that, it was it was quite a, 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 a dramatic and yeah emotional response. If you pinpoint that that emotion, was it sort of sadness? 
Um, yes, I, I guess it was like sadness in the form of sympathy or empathy mm, yeah. um, or uh, um, unease as well. Um, like, like just trying to, because when you're that age, you don't fully understand the concept of death. You know, like like uh, uh, it, it takes a while to 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 really understand what it is, and, and and to but just realizing there's something wrong and that terrible terrible things can happen. Yeah, and uh, because that, that that that's what I I love about music, and it has been that throughout my life that music often does explain the emotions that we can't comprehend necessarily ourselves immediately and often can't communicate through through words alone you know there there are, there are certain emotions and, and and feelings that we we don't communicate verbally sometimes it's just a look at somebody sometimes it's 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 a physical communication it can be holding somebody and sometimes it is through music as well and sometimes it is through uh, uh, through melody, and it, it's not just lyrically either. And I, I, I guess, I, thinking back on it as well, I guess that's the first time I, I, I became aware of what I would now call emotional dissonance within music, which is where you're experiencing more than one thing at once, like, like where you're feeling a sense of tragedy while the music is uplifting. Yeah. Um, you know, this music was, was, and there was something about melodies and the, the performance by the band, yet there was, in the melodic choice and the um, and particularly the tone of, of the, the singer, Maddie Pryor, who's, who's like, had this amazing, like, beautiful, beautiful, clear voice. Uh, and th- th- there was such a... It was a lament, like it felt like a real lament the way she was delivering it. And to have that with the sort of like stirring nature of the music, yeah, it, it, it was feeling more than one emotion simultaneously, which again is one of my favorite things in music. I love that. I love finding music that does that to me. You know, where, where, where I'm feeling my, my heart is salved and torn apart simultaneously. Yeah, I, I love that. Wonderful. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. Right, listen. This episode is brought to you in part by NordVPN. Who are NordVPN? As I keep hearing about them and other podcasters chatting about them. Well, here's just a snippet of what they do. They provide secure and private access to the internet that protects all your devices. Change your virtual location in just a click so you find and access streaming platforms at a lower price. So essentially, you can switch location with a click and watch Netflix in the US or Australia. In fact, you can choose from over 5,200 plus servers in 60 countries. There's cybersecurity benefits. Public Wi-Fi, for instance, is notorious for being a hotbed for hackers to steal your data. But by using NordVPN on your devices, it will protect you from hackers. 
you can grab an exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash OTBT. Use that code OTBT and get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free, a bonus gift. And it's most importantly, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, and that's a small price to pay for premium cyber security and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal here at nordvpn.com forward slash OTBT. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Staying in those formative years uh, for the next one, I'm going to ask you, please, for track three, Alex, to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Oh, it has to be Madness and Baggy Trousers. Um, You know, uh, so that song, when did that song come out? Like about 1979 or 1980? Uh, I reckon that might have been, oh, was that first album? It's, I think it was the first single off the second album. 81, I reckon. Yeah, you reckon that late? I reckon Yeah, so. maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh, right, my money's on 1980 then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. But uh, either way, um, it was when I, I first moved up to Edinburgh, I was in primary school. So I was seven or eight, something like that. Uh, and that came out. And... Madness, when you were that age, at that time, they were the perfect band for you. They were, they were amazing because they were, they were boisterous, they were naughty, they looked amazing, the music was upbeat and joyous, and you felt like... And the, felt videos, like were, the videos were amazing. They were so, so good fun, weren't they? I mean, like, flying around, playing the saxophone, <laughs> just being naughty. And, like, the video for Baggy Trousers was amazing as well. Like, there's all the kids running around having a riot. And when you're seven or eight, that's what you want to do. You, 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 you do. And I, I could never quite make, make out all of the lyrics, but I did get a lot of them. And... Um, uh, and, and I knew that there was this sort of like this sense of rebelliousness and, and yeah. kicking against the school system, which my God, it really resonated. But damn, they looked so sharp as well in their yeah. state press trousers and their Dr. Martins and their, their crumbies and their flat tops. And like, what? Like me and all my pals, that's what that's who we wanted to look yeah. like. That's who we wanted to be. Like every, everybody wanted to be stugs, you know. Like, like he he was he was super cool. And yeah, I, I I loved it. I loved it. And it's funny, like I remember. A few years ago, uh, being in New York with a bunch of my pals from New York, and I guess they'd missed out on madness when yeah. they were kids. They were about my age, and, and and I guess some some people would have known who they were, but they certainly didn't have the resonance that we had. And I was at karaoke with them, and I chose I did baggy trousers. Sorry, uh, I, I I I did baggy trousers. And I was shocked by like how all the lyric just came out in a wanna. I hardly need to look at the screen. Yeah. I just knew it. It just all it all just came out. It, it, it was amazing. And then afterwards, it was all completely silent. And we're like, "What the hell was that? Where did that come from?" <laughs> and so I explained, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it was this great song." And um, yeah, it's funny, like because I think the 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 people who you look up to at that age, they really resonate with you and stay with you for the rest of your life. And um, I've bumped into the guys from Madness and and Suggs a couple of times over the years. You know, we've done festivals and he's been on the same lineups and stuff. It's funny, like whenever I sort of like I'm in his company, I, I still kind of like revert to my seven year old self, and I'm kind of a little bit in awe. <laughs> um, Alex, we're the, we're the same age, and uh, and and I grew up in that band. You know, like it was for you, pop stars in the early eighties. You know, it, it, it was there was two choices at my school. You was either into Madness or Adamant. Both was a win-win. Do you know what I mean? I, I love both of them. You know, it was a really tight choice for me between baggy trousers and Kings of the Wild Frontier. Hundred percent. I, 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 I still love that song as well. Like, like totally amazing and and like like brilliant. Like, and what I love about both of those bands and those artists are like they're, they're real outsiders. You know, like they're, they're, they're totally outside. Came from like like subcultures and scenes like way outside the mainstream, and then like so like ripped the mainstream apart with what they were doing and yeah. damn it felt so exciting and kings of the wild frontier 
it's like three minutes of feedback, yeah. tribal drumming and chanting. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a really radical piece of music. Like, like both of them, like totally joyous and out there. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah, I, and we were I, pretty jammy being that age at that time. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I talk about it quite a lot because, um, Baggy Trousers has been chosen uh, several times as well because I think anybody of a certain age, that just sums up school because that was everything they sung about was what you was kind of experiencing at school, you know. Yes. Um, and and it, it, I, I, I've said it before, but I do think that they're – because of the things that initially jumped at me with Madness was the comedy and the videos in, in what they do. I think that that – has not given them the recognition now that they deserve. Because as songwriters, like Mike Barson, he's fucking incredible. Like, his songs are unbelievable pop songs. And the social commentary at that point, to write songs like Embarrassment and things like that, was just marvellous. And I think that sometimes they just get kind of dismissed as a lads band, you know, yeah. uh, having a, having a knees up. But I, I think they've wrote some of, and there's a lot, you look at the hits of madness and there is a lot of them and, and they're all they're incredible. so brilliant. Well crafted pop songs. I, I absolutely agree with you. And the other thing as well is that, that you're right that there is there is social commentary, uh, lyrical dexterity, and um, also musical complexity as well. There are some like really bizarre moves and like unconventional sort of things, and like a, a, a jamming together of ideas. And Barson, you're right. You know, like like they were kind of like to, to me, madness are like the smart kids who sit at the back of the class refusing to answer the teacher's questions. Yeah. You, you, do you know what I mean? Like, like, like they're, they're super smart guys, but like, like, so like got their own agenda acting, acting a bit dumb to be cool, you know, like, but, but they're not dumb. Like, like, and I think as well, you're right. The perception of madness suffers from a certain critical snobbery that we have in the UK, which is if there's an element of joy in music or lightheartedness or God, forbid a sense of humor then it cannot be taken seriously as a piece of art which is ah, i don't know i find it so wrong uh, particularly when i think of other forms where where, where humor is essential like, like i think of like the greatest art movement of the 20th century was dada which is based upon like absurdity and humor as well yeah. and like and, and and turning everything upside down and and uh, and pointing out those absurdities and that's what we have in madness, you know. Like, like uh, uh, the, 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 there is absurdity and there is humour, but there is like a, a great depth to them as well. And also, like a, a a real continuation of a tradition of very British or particularly English and London songwriting, like 100%. going back to, to to music hall through the Kinks, through to them. You know, like I, I, I even, yes, Ian Jury, but I even see so they see elements of Noel Coward as well. There's a a sort of um, uh, uh, detached English observance of the intensity of life, which I love about them. I, I, I think they're a, a great band and, as you say, do not get the recognition they deserve. Um, well, when you was at school, um, two questions. Was it something that you enjoyed? And secondly, what did you want to be? What did I want to – did I enjoy school? Um Yes and no, which probably is the same for everyone. Um, you know, uh, uh, like I'm sure, what, what's the line? Um, uh, 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 oh, fun we had, but oh yeah, oh fun we had about that time. It seems so bad. Yeah, um, I did have a good laugh when I was at school, but at the time it felt bloody awful, yeah. and it felt terrible because I was forced to be there, and like nobody wants to be anywhere where they're forced. And so, of course, I had I had good times with my friends. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, 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 at that time in my life, I enjoyed it. There were sides of school I did not like. You know, I, I, I was probably a little bit awkward and a pain in the ass for many teachers, like, looking back on it. But, um, yeah, there, there were certain things I didn't like. I didn't like um, the authoritarian side of it. Um, I, I, it didn't really sit very well with me, and, and would often. I, I, I hated uh, stupid people 
acting smart and that's how I felt some of my teachers were um which is probably a a bit of a mean thing probably incorrect but that's how I felt at the time you know um uh, but yeah and of course there were negative sides to being at school as well and and various frictions and uh uh, altercations but I think everybody has that when they go through school don't they Yeah. yeah and what did you want to be oh what did I want to be you know when I was about four it must have been about four because it would have been about maybe five it would have been either christmas 76 or christmas 77 uh this would be pre-madness my mum got me a red plastic electric guitar because i wanted to be a punk (laughs) and um I, i didn't keep up the punk thing but um uh yeah, I, I definitely always wanted to do that and I always thought about it. And, you know, I started writing songs when I was pretty young and wanted, always wanted to play music. I guess I, I always presumed that's just what I would do eventually. Was was that creative side of you encouraged at school? At school? No, no, definitely not. Um, you know, like thinking back to school, the, the, the only creative output within the or outlet rather within the context of formal education was uh, composition, English. And I loved that. That was great. I loved making up stories. I loved, I loved telling stories yet. Yeah. And I felt, I don't know how, I mean, it's so many years ago. It's like that's 40 years ago, whatever, 30, 40 years ago, I was at school and it's changed I'm sure it has changed a lot, but it felt that within the context of teaching music at school, everything was, it felt the approach that was taken when I was at school was the same as learning multiplication tables at that time. It was something you learned by rote. You memorized it and you regurgitated somebody else's ideas, which of course is a great idea. Of course, it's part of music. The same way as learning English, you have to learn the the mechanics of the language, grammar and spelling, et cetera. Um, but so much of the joy of music is the writing and the expression and the language of expression which it gives you. And I felt that was completely missing. Um, I, I, I remember I, I briefly had piano lessons for, for like a couple of months. And um, my mum had taken me to a fireworks display in Edinburgh. Like when I moved up to Edinburgh, like in the in Princess Street Gardens. And it was amazing, this brilliant fireworks display. And there was an orchestra playing at the same time as the fireworks display. It was was in the gardens where they have the the amphitheatre thing. All of Edinburgh was down there. And they were playing Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. You know, it's it's the one there, bomb, bomb, and then they shoot off the cannons as part of the thing, like, boom. It was so dramatic. I loved it as a kid, like fireworks and explosions and this dramatic music. I remember I'd come home and I'd worked out. We had this old beat-up piano that never stayed in tune in the house. And I remember like going to the piano and working it out and going, going it was like dong dang 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 dang. I was like, oh yeah, that's how that tune goes. And then going to this piano lesson and the teacher saying, Do you know anything on the piano? Can you play anything on the piano? And I said, Oh yeah, yeah, I can. I can play. I can listen to this. I can play this. I, I heard this the other day. I can play this tune. And she went, How did you learn that? Do you read music? And I was like, No, 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 I just worked it out. And she, and she gave me this terrible row and said, you must never, ever, ever do that again. That is, that is learning the wrong way. You have to read music. You should never work things out by ear. And I just remember being so shocked and like feeling really kind of chuffed at myself because I'd worked out this wee tune. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and so, uh, yeah, I, I felt that that, that that side of musical expression was, was missing when I was a kid. I'm sure it's not now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's so weird that I, I, I had piano lessons as well, and, and I'd had a piano, and, and I, I just taught myself how to play a few songs. And then when the piano teacher came to, to, to my house, like literally was like, what are you doing with your fingers? And I was like, oh, that's just how I... T-. And it was like, no, no, you, you don't do it like that. And it was like, I broke all the rules. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. Like, there's got to be something said for a bit of DIY culture here. And so, you know, <laughs> sussing it out for yourself. Do you know what I mean? But yes. it, it was, it was, yeah, it yeah. was, it was frowned upon, but hopefully not so much now. Um, for track four, Alex, I'm going to ask you please to tell me the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please. 
Well, I, I remember um, it would have been in a record shop in Greece when I was a kid. And um, there was, because um, uh, my dad's Greek, I used to go to Greece all the time uh, and spend my holidays there, see my grandparents and, and hanging around. And at some point in the mid-70s, I think this song came out in 1975, so it might have been 76, uh, there was a song called Tupuza, right? And so this song, uh, it's kind of like a Greek novelty song. It's kind of like, sonically, it's kind of like up there with Moldy Old Doe or something like that. Okay. You know, like, it, 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 it was like a novelty song, and it was on the radio everywhere when I was in Greece that year, and it was always being played, and asked my dad if we could go in and we could buy that so i think that's that's probably my first example of buying something from a record shop and it's a funny song um because it it, it is it, it's it's kind of like a mixture of moogs and bazookies uh and it, it's 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 super catchy uh i can hum it like i know it so well it's, it's, it's part of my essence but i was i was talking to my dad about it recently and um i'm gonna look up what he said to me because um i was asking about what it meant and um it was written by a guy a guy called markopoulos who was like it was a really fascinating uh, composer. Like he was a composer, and Greece at that time had just come out of a military junta. So uh, Greece was ruled by the uh, a junta of uh, a dictatorship of, of colonels. Like there were these colonels in the army, and the song was written like a great protest, like as great protest songs often are, kind of like disguised as nonsense lyrics, like a criticism of the state. Because if you wrote them overtly, you would end up in jail with like electrodes attached to the bits of your body you wouldn't want anything attached to. And, uh, and he was, so like um, my dad's talking about the lyrics, and he was saying like like uh, uh, yeah. Uh, apparently, it, the, the theme of the song is about a guy getting whose plane crashes and get, he, he lands on this island that's full of cannibals, and it's about the cannibals chasing him around the island and wanting to eat him. And uh, and uh, the the lyrics translate to something like the leaders march and his dogs follow. You hold your nose because of the stench. What you fail to realize is that the animals that ate you died because they were poisoned by your corpses. And like it's, I mean, this is my dad translating the lyric, and it's also in the context of this sort of nonsense song. And it's it's kind of amazing to think that in my lifetime, in you know the the, the country that's half of my heritage, like like. That was the way protest songs had to be delivered, and in and, and the and the guise of nonsense. Yeah, probably reached far bigger numbers than had it have been a Billy Bragg type thing with a guitar just barking it at someone. Yes, I, I, I think so as well, and and probably like ha- had a wiser thing because it's the sort of thing. To me, that's that's when music can be truly subversive. You know, if you keep if he kept that song as an obscure difficult piece of music then it would have stayed on the fringes but for it to get into the mainstream to be played on greek radio yeah. the equivalent of radio one every day and then people talking to each other and saying you know what it's really about of yeah. course and then that, that's that's amazing to me it's the most subversive thing you could do with a piece of music like, like how, how, how wonderful that is i mean i still love like the idea of a good protest song as a as a uni- unifying and overt piece of music, like like the one that comes to my mind is Bella Ciao, you know the um, the, the partisan song from from Italy, like like uh, uh, yeah, what, what 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 and again illustrating the the, the power of music and protest in a, in, a, in a different way. I'm going to move things forward uh, a little bit in time now um, for track five to the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please, Alex. My club years again. I was trying to think of, of something that, uh, yeah, that, that, that felt so like universal. I was trying to think of a song because when I would, I, I was always quite Catholic in my tastes when it comes to music, and when I went out to clubs as well, and so, and I, I always liked the people who weren't snobby about their music, who. Because I often found with clubbing, there were, you know how cl- clubbers can often be, they can be very specific to their 
own particular subgenre of subgenre. You know, like, like, <laughs> yeah. like uh, oh no, no, I don't like intelligent house. I like deep intelligent house or whatever. You know, like, like <laughs> or some bullshit like that. You know, like, like, and, and like how how. And so I was trying to think of a, a a piece of music that was universal that I would I would hear at an indie disco or I would hear in a good club as well. You know, like like, like a house club or something like that. And it has to be Daft Punk and Around the World. Oh, what a record! And I, I, I choose that because of its universal appeal. The clubbers loved it. The indie kids loved it. The pop fans loved it. Everybody loved that piece of music. And, and again, how powerful it was. And they loved it because it just made you want to get up and dance, yeah. which is what a piece of dance music should do, you know? And, and it was simultaneously cool, innovative, and universally appealing. Damn, who, who, who gets to pull that off? That's amazing. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I do still love it. Like, like and when, when I hear it now, and I guess that, that song was kind of like my introduction to the, um, the whole kind of like French touch sort of scene, like what Cassius were doing and, and then like leading on to the guys and Justice, et cetera. And we got to, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate, we got to work with Philippe Zadar of uh, Cassius on our last record and what an amazing experience that was. I love that. I love him and the daft guys and that whole scene. It was it was very cool. Like, like taking um, what was essentially a, 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 an American form of underground club music and filtering it through the Parisian taste. Oh, damn, it's perfect. I, I, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And at that time, it was, and I guess it, that a lot of that stuff that was happening with like Kitsuni and things like that and, and, uh, and, and, and Ed Banger and that, it was all around the time, I guess, that, that France were coming to, to, to fruition, really. Am I, am I right in saying that? It was around that time scale, wasn't it? So yeah, I, I guess Daft Punk would have been a little bit before, but yeah, the, the other stuff that, but it continued. That track like, like, yeah, definitely. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that particular track, would, but you're right. What came afterwards and what that opened up was definitely happening around about the, the time of us. And sure, like I, I loved what Kitsune were doing and Ed Banger and all those guys. They, they were cool and like like. Uh, there were always two sides to what we were doing as a band. Like, you know, we, we loved the clubs and we loved the rawness of rock and roll. And I think those guys got that as well. They understood that it, it, it would, yeah. you didn't have to be a snob about it. You, you, you could like embrace what was good about all of those worlds. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved that. And I loved seeing what they were doing and there were always good surprises coming from them. And again, just joyousness, you know, like really yeah. fucking good time music. Absolutely, absolutely. Some of that Kitsune stuff. I, 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 I'm a club promoter, and I know that you, you, you was a club promoter as well. Um, and and yeah, around that time, like I used to book. I'm trying to think Jerry Boothier a lot, and and some of his DJ sets like was just incredible. And I had this idea. I never never got it off the ground, but I wanted to do this this club night. I've never spoke about this. I don't know why I'm, I'm bringing it up now, but I want to have this night called Pardon. And it would be right. PAR for Paris and DOM for London and put it together. Oh, amazing. And have <laughs> this night called Pardon, which would have literally just been a hybrid of what was going on in the London indie scene and what was going on in Paris with, with all the stuff that was happening out there at that time. Never got it off the ground. But, yeah, it's one of them ideas. I thought, that was a good little catchy name, that. Oh, oh but, that's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's certainly better than Loris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's good. That's that's cool. But you're right, like, because because London did feel exciting, like, and there were good things happening club wise in London too. That and New York, like, but it it it, it did feel like an excitement that that moment from the late nineties, Glasgow too, like the Optimal Boys. I felt were part of that sort of scene as well, and um, and doing all New York like with the DFE thing too, like like it it really did feel. Um, like, like, like any good sort of musical movement where it felt like there was a destruction of barriers between genres, which I always find exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and a lot of that was happening at Trash as well in London, which, you know, if we're talking club nights, what, what a hybrid night that was of, yes. of incredible genres. Yeah, right. yeah brilliant. Like yeah, Errol and Rory and all those guys, fantastic yeah. stuff. Okay, I'm going to take you home for track six, uh, and I'm going to ask you, please, Alex, to tell me a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Where, where's home? Where are you going? It's, home for me is Glasgow. Okay. You know, so um, I have to choose a Glasgow band. Um, 
fortunately stroke unfortunately that gives me a hell of a lot to choose from mm. <laughs> uh, I'm going to choose orange juice oh, and uh, falling and laughing um, I, I, I love that song like, like I, I love it on so 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 many levels so so many levels like from a, a wider cultural sociological uh, music industry revolutionizing level like the way that postcard records completely wrote what it meant to be a musician or a band that you could be independent and, and like yourself like that was so revolutionary like, had such an impact on me and being in the glasgow scene 10 15 years later like it was it was edwin and alan horn and all those boys like like what they did all those years earlier really opened it up for us and they, they kind of like gave us an example to follow but we're talking about music here and what an incredible piece of music that is. What an incredible piece of songwriting it is. Yeah. Um, both lyrically and musically. Um, a, a, a great, winsome, bittersweet, uh, poetic piece of lyricism. Like, like I, I, I've got the lyrics here as well because I want to talk about that. They're, they're, so, uh, they're so beautiful. Um, uh, yeah, you, you must think me very naive, taken as true. I only see what... I- I want to see, avoid eye contact at all costs. What can I do to see your fine white teeth smiling at me? You might say that we should build a city of tears. All I'm seeing is I'm alone. And consequently, only my dreams satisfy the real need of my heart. I resist. Oh, my God. It's poetry. <laughs> it's amazing. What, what, a brilliant, what, what a brilliant lyricist Edwin is. You know, like, like I, I, I love it. And then with, with, with that incredible dexterous guitar playing, and that was, again, so disrespectful of the barrier between musical genres of that. They were coming in with the attitude of punk but listening to chic yeah. when you had folk, like, burning their disco records because it wasn't real and there were a lot of people in the punk rock scene who who, who had a really snobbish attitude towards disco, mm. and they didn't, and they, they they embraced it and loved it. And yeah, I I I I love it beyond description. And and let's also throw in the mix that they looked cool as fuck as well. <laughs> yeah, they certainly did, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, and they didn't look like your regular idea of a macho rock star either. I've always loved that, you know, like because. I, 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 I guess partly because I know I will never be <laughs> your regular idea of a macho rock star myself. So like, I guess it's, guy, it, it, it's guys like Edwin or Brian Ferry or uh, even Terry Hall. They, they, they were the kind, of, they, they, the kind of guys that I kind of felt like, oh, yeah, you're, you're not the kind of macho guys. Like, like yeah, I can, I can relate to you, you know. And, and you're right, they, they, they really did. And they also... They, they also just seem to have like a a good gang mentality about them as well. Yeah. Like they seem to be like having their own world and their own universe, inviting you in. If you want to join, you were cool and you were welcome. But damn, we were different from everybody else. That was yeah, it was great. And, and, and I, I totally agree that for, for me, you know, in the nineties as well, Jarvis Cocker, like, was just the super unlikely pop star. That was another great example. Yeah, just different I, I, level I cool. Yes, yes, totally. And again, totally unmatched as well. Mm. And dressing, like all these characters as well, they've got, they've got the uh, the thing of, of, of dressing rather eccentrically as yeah. well. And I, I think that's something peculiar to, 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 to British music as well. That's something you find a lot more in, in, in British music than maybe you find in America. Or it's a different type of eccentricity in America. Um, and I, I know that sometimes we found a little bit of like kind of like incomprehension when we went over to the States, like, like um, I won't use the word they use to describe it because it's a particularly awful word, but like, um, let's say we were a little bit too effeminate and effeminate for them to, <laughs> to totally get their heads around. Um, oh no. Yeah. But, but, um, but yes, I, 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 I love that. I love those guys and totally had that. Yeah. So good. Right, for your last track, uh, you get to be a uh, tastemaker, influencer, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, Alex, please tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Ah, right, okay. Well, I don't know how well-known this song is. It's, it's not a new song, but it, it's a song um, that I've loved for a really long time. It's like since 
I, I had a I had a girlfriend like, like my first sort of like long long term girlfriend in, in the early nineties had this album by Dory Previn called Mythical Kings and, Iqu- and Iguanas. And on that, re- we used to listen to that record a lot. We used to listen to that and Leonard Cohen. And um, there's a song on that album called The Lady with the Braid. I don't, do you know that song? I don't know. Ah, right. Okay. It's, it's, it's an amazing, an amazing piece of music. Um, um, so Dory Previn was married to Andre Previn. Mm-hmm. And... He left her for Mia Farrell. And Dory, I guess she was a musician, but she went into therapy and uh, to deal with, like, I, I think she had a, a, a complete physical and mental breakdown with the shock of that, that breakup. And during her process of therapy, she began writing, began songwriting uh, to express her emotions and where she was. And so you, you have this sort of remarkably emotionally open songwriting, um, musically very dexterous as well, but lyrically, this one, I don't know how self, I don't know how autobiographical it is. Um, it's about this woman having a, a one-night stand, the lady with the braid of the title. And... Um, the way she describes just the minutiae of the the encounter, um, it's really heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. So she describes him coming in and she's sort of saying, and the beginning, musically and lyrically, it's really lighthearted at the beginning of the song. And she's talking about, like, so like, oh, you can put your, your denim jacket on the hook over there, over there. And like, so leading through, you can, uh, if, uh, um, you, uh, if you can see, you can stay till sunrise, it's completely your decision. Um, uh, you, um, uh, you can, uh, so like, uh, you can leave your razor over there uh, on the shelf. Uh, I papered that wall myself. Uh, I, I just uh, put your clothes on the cover that my, my cousin hand crocheted. And there's like, all these very, very personal lyrics. And then at one point, um, she sings something about how, um, how she doesn't want him to leave. And uh, when you wake up, will you leave? Uh, it's just the, the night cuts through me like a knife and suddenly she reveals all of her vulnerability and how much she needs company and how much she needs love and oh my goodness it's so so heartbreaking when she does it and then the music shifts again and she tries to laugh off and she says it like oh I don't know what made me say that I have this funny sense of humor you know I could not be downhearted if I tried, if I tried, and, and again, beautiful, beautiful lyrics and like capturing the humanity and the vulnerability of a, a, a moment of somebody's life. And you're not sure if it's autobiographical or fictional, but it's a totally genius, genius piece of songwriting. And uh, I, I think all of us songwriters should aspire to write something as beautiful and as powerful as, as this astonishing song. Wonderful. Well, Alex, we put together a, a Spotify playlist to accompany the, the podcast. Uh, with, so the link will be in the, the, the bio for this episode so people can go and listen to all of the songs that you've chosen today. Uh, and obviously we'll put some, some friends music in there. And with that in mind, tell us about what's going to be coming up uh, professionally. Ah, right. So at, at the moment, um, we're putting together uh, an LP called Hits to the Head which is, uh, well, as you might guess, like a compilation of all of the uh, songs we've re- released over the last 18 years. Like it's uh, 2004 that our first album came out. And so it actually starts 2003 with Darts to Pleasure, the first single we, we released up to Furious. Uh, and Billy Goodbye, the last last two singles we, we've just uh, put out. So it's been nice. We've been putting that together, and we'll be touring as well. Uh, we're going to start touring uh, in April, and I believe that we're, the, the UK shows were moved, so they'll be back in October. But damn, wait, we're back on the road. It's been 
it's been so long. You know, I, I, I played my first gig when I was about 18 and never really went for more than six, the maximum without, and to have gone for two years without playing a gig, it's, it's driving me insane. We had a, a show a few weeks ago in, in Dunfermline. We played uh, as part of uh, Venues Week and, oh, man. It felt so good. I really savoured it. It, it. it was so astonishing. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to being back on the road again. Oh, wonderful. Alex, honestly, thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure talking records with you. And, yeah, uh, I hope you have the best time playing those shows, mate, and, and best of luck with the new record. And, yeah, thanks again, mate. Yeah, thanks very much. Really nice to talk to you. Nice, nice to chat about some of these tunes. There you go. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Oh, it was lovely talking to to, to Alex. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, that, that passion and zest for talking about records. Like, it just poured out of him. And, and yeah, I could just kind of kick back in the chair and just enjoy it. And uh, and I hope you, even if you've got a fraction of the enjoyment I got listening to, to Alex talk passionately about his records, then, uh, yeah, you're in a good place. So thanks ever so much to Alex. Uh, thanks to you lot for listening. As mentioned at the beginning, go check out the back catalogue because there's hundreds of episodes there. Um, give us a, a subscribe. That's, that's really helpful. Um, yeah. Like, love, share, retweets and all that on the socials. And, yeah, there's Patreons, there's merch, there's all sorts. And your one-stop shop for that is off the beat and track podcast.com. I'll be back next time. In the meantime, be nice to each other. Love you lots. Bye-bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat it, boy.